You're listening to Penny Johnston with ABC Baby Talk Podcast. From breast versus bottle feeding, childhood obesity versus all the new health fads the internet is full of, how on earth are you supposed to know what's good food for your baby? Coming to the rescue, Deakin University is now offering a short online course to get to the real science of childhood nutrition. It covers nutrition from birth until 12 months, from the very first breastfeeding attempts to introducing your baby to solids. And I think that this is the part that most parents find difficult. You know you need to get it right, but there's a lot of unhelpful information going around. There's not too many toddlers that love eating just salad leaves or coconut oil every day. And there's so much children's food marketed that you and I would probably suspect is not necessarily the best nutrition for them. So what is good? How do we navigate what's good nutrition for our little ones? How do we give them the start on their nutrition journey that will set them up for their best future relationship with food? Thankfully, there are some good scientific answers. Professor Karen Campbell is a senior lecturer in population nutrition at the Institute for Physical Activity at Deakin University's School of Exercise and Nutrition Science. Her department is about to open the doors to their online infant nutrition learning course. It's free and available to everyone. Professor Campbell, welcome to Baby Talk. And can you tell us a little bit more about this online short course about infant nutrition? These are what we call massive open online courses or MOOCs. And they do what I think universities should be doing, which is taking their expertise. So they're experts at research, they're experts at teaching, and they deliver it free online to anyone at any time. So Our MOOC in Infant Nutrition is a two-week course, it's a taster if you like, that covers off that first year of life when we know parents have got enormous number of questions and concerns and it takes our fabulous researchers to parents sitting up breastfeeding at two in the morning or sitting over their breakfast or whenever they might want to log on and have a look. This course has actually run twice already. It has. And can you give us an idea of how many people and where they're from and yeah, who's doing the course? It's a bit mind-blowing because, it's, you know, as a lecturer, you might stand up in a room with 300 people. We have had so far across two courses 15,000 people from 145 different countries. And one of the gorgeous things about a MOOC is that you can type comments and talk to other parents and maybe get a bit of feedback from the experts as well. We've had 17,000 comments and they're not, hello, my name is Karen there. Hello, my name's Karen and I've got a new baby who's three weeks old and I'm really wondering about the breastfeeding. How do I keep going? Quite detailed, lots for us to talk about. I guess it's instinctive that as parents we know we've really got to get this right for the first year of life, but is there a scientific reason why this early nutrition is so important, Karen? Yeah, absolutely. We talk about the first thousand days of life. That's that's something mums and dads will have heard of, I suspect. And by that we mean the days that make up your pregnancy and the first years of life. And these first thousand days of life are thought to be fundamentally important to a child's health for the rest of their life. So it's pretty amazing to think that what's happening from your nutrition point of view both during your in utero life, so whilst a baby's in your tummy, and those first two years of life will affect things like their risk of cancer, their risk of heart disease, their risk of obesity across the rest of their life, and many other things as well. 
So getting it right is incredibly important and not, not too difficult to achieve. One of the other things that's really important in that first two years of life is it's when children's food behaviours and food preferences become set up. And so it's always seemed weird to me that our emphasis on nutrition and teaching kids about nutrition happens when they go to school because by the time you're five, in fact we know a quarter of our children are overweight or obese by the time they're five, so a lot's happened in that first five years. We also know that it's really hard to change food preferences from about the age of three. So you don't despair if your child's only eating white rice at the age of three. You know, we can help kids to improve that. I mean, seeing a dietitian would be a really valuable thing to do if you have a very fussy eater. But it is so much easier if you can get a child on the right path from the beginning of life. So there's a lot to learn about how often to offer things for and for how long and uh, what to offer. And it's a science and there's a lot to learn. And I, I think the MOOC is a very good place to begin that journey. The course is professional, university, researched. It's all it based, in fact. It's not Dr. Google at all. No, that's a great point. And I think it's you know what we love about this opportunity is that the people who do research and people who research in early childhood nutrition are passionate about it. So the people who are doing the research and the teaching are the people who are going online to talk about what they do. And it's not like old days where people got up and talked for an hour and no one really understood what they talked about. We have to do this in three-minute little video clips. We have to provide nice, short, detailed descriptions of what we've said and hopefully some links to resources that you could go away and look at later. So the whole aim is for us to be more accessible, to take high-quality evidence-based information, put it in bite-sized chunks and make it useful for people. And this is information that parents can use. So the two weeks are essentially first six months, second second six six months. months. And really the first part is all about your breastfed or formula-fed babies. Yeah, so week one, I think we call it from milk to mushy stuff. So it's looking at that very first six months of life. Now, the advice from recommendations around the world from health organisations is that we breastfeed exclusively to around six months of age. So we've taken that naught to six months and talked about uh, breastfeeding in, in all its forms. It's why it's hard and why it's easy and how long to do it for and how to do it. But also acknowledging that many, many people will use infant formula and taken some time to actually talk about how to use infant formula well, uh, how to make it up properly, how to choose the lowest protein formulas without spending too much money. That's important because we know it affects growth and a lower protein is closer to breast milk. How to store it, how to feel confident in using it well. So I, I think it's just a really nice focus on what women and families are actually doing. Some are breastfeeding, some are formula feeding. And we approach that with no judgment, but simply an aim to support women and families to do what they want to do as well as they can do it. And of, and of course, we all share as parents the desire for children to do really, really well in life. Yeah, oh, that would be such a relief to some people hearing that. Because it, it is sometimes tough if you're doing the formula feeding. You can feel like it's very much behind closed doors. Yeah, and women tell us that in our research. It's and, and they're reluctant to ask for advice and support. It's a tricky space for health professionals because we know that ideally you would be breastfeeding. But I think we have to be careful not to put our heads in the sand and ignore the fact that people who aren't breastfeeding have often wanted to breastfeed, in fact, usually wanted to breastfeed, and for reasons, many varied reasons, haven't been able to. And so we need to support them to pick up the alternative as well as they can. And, of course, you can raise happy, healthy children on infant formula as well. I do reiterate that you know the key message is 
to support women to breastfeed as well as they can for as long as they can. And that is a really big focus, both both of the MOOC and also of the research that we do, because there's lots of barriers for women breastfeeding. And it's one of the things I love about the MOOC, with 145 different countries represented over our first two runs in 2017, um, we have lots of discussion about why people have why people stop and why the rates of breastfeeding are so different in different countries and it opens up discussions about return to work policies around broader policies that might promote breastfeeding and support breastfeeding around advertising of infant formula to people in hospital or not lots of places where we could improve the opportunities for women to be supported to breastfeed have you learnt something from the discussions oh absolutely because i, I think Look at my own history as a, as a parent, and of course I became interested in young people's, young children's nutrition when I became a parent. My own experience was that of course I was going to breastfeed. I, I'm a dietitian, I'm a nutrition scientist, and of course I would breastfeed. And in fact, you know, within about six hours of beginning breastfeeding with my first baby, I had blisters on my nipples, I was in terrible pain, and it was really only the care of my maternal and child health nurse that got me through that first month. And then I found breastfeeding very easy, and I breastfed for as long as that baby wanted to and and went on to breastfeed another baby. But I guess it really hit me that I've got all the capacity and the knowledge and the opportunity and I still found it hard. So hearing other women talk about their own breastfeeding experiences just for me reaffirms that women need support and surprise surprise you know it's (laughs) it's not like we're sitting in a village environment watching other people do it or have people to help us make the latching on work well and we often have people encouraging us to stop, partly because they want us to be more relaxed and out of pain or whatever the problem may have been for your breastfeeding. Of course, I think for most women, breastfeeding is a bit of a breeze and they they manage really, really well. And I must admit, with the second baby, I was quite nervous about that first breastfeeding encounter. So, you know, I got a lactation consultant to come to the ward and just to help me. And of course, it was really easy from from step one, perhaps an easier baby as well. Oh, I don't know. it might have been. But yes, I, and I would not have been able to breastfeed if it hadn't been for a lactation consultant too. Maternal and child health nurses and for lactation specialists because they're at the coalface. The work we do using MOOCs and apps and other things is we consider ourselves to be this nice, evidence-based, reliable form of information about food and nutrition and feeding babies. And that backs straight into your maternal and child health nurse. We know, however, from our interviews with maternal and child health nurses that this is their core business, but they're frustrated by the lack of time that they have to really delve into issues. So they're encouraging and supportive of this work because it builds on on the messages that they're already delivering. And again, having the backing of a university is so important to be able to say that, look, this is evidence-based, this is World Health Authority information, this is the best that science has got to pass on to you. Absolutely. And I think... You don't want to be mucking around with babies in that first year of life. You want to be doing, we we do want to do the best we can for our babies. And it is important that the information we provide is high quality. Having a baby is kind of like wading your way through a university degree because breastfeeding is really tricky and then you sort of get the hang of it. And then, or am I, six months is there and there's all this information about allergies and food intolerance and you're supposed to start putting food in that baby's mouth. But where on earth do you start? I know. And, and look, and, and again, I can remember that phase myself that I felt quite unsure as to how to proceed. And I did ask my mum, but, you know, the arrogance of youth, I can remember. And my <laughs> mum was only 21 when she had me. So the arrogance of youth, I did think she probably didn't know as much as I did. I would have loved to have had... A 
MOOC to go and have a look at. I, I don't think we had online in those days. <laughs> we might have had books. In this modern online environment, food is a massive thing and there's all sorts of swirling rumours about carbohydrates and protein and all the different diets that that you might be quite entitled to pursue as an adult but does that actually translate and is that fair for a baby to be weaned into your sort of lifestyle choices yeah look I I think that's a really good point and we are absolutely overwhelmed with information about diet for both adults and children I think there's some really basic core principles around feeding kids and I, I guess that leads us a little bit into talking about the second week of the MOOC which you know the focus is solely on when to feed and how to feed and what to feed and you know how to feel relaxed in feeding and the emphasis very much on that second six months of life where milk remains the primary source of nutrition so breast milk or formula is on getting kids to try foods and for you to feel relaxed about eating with your baby and preparing food for your baby so there is an emphasis on getting enough iron that is important because iron becomes a limiting factor in babies diets if they're only on milk but the emphasis beyond that is really on variety and enjoying feeding your baby and there's we have covered off the traditional approaches which many of you will have experienced yourself or you may have penny as well so you know my mum would have given me pureed things and gradually moved on to slightly lumpier and slightly lumpier and that's still pretty much what is recommended but there has been this push in the last 10 years to something called baby led weaning which does sound like baby linguini <laughs> <laughs> but is baby led weaning and this is very much about the baby letting you know what they want to eat and when they want to eat it and I really like that. So we have a whole section on what baby led weaning is and how you would do it safely because it is really important that the food is of a texture that the baby won't choke on. But it builds on a really important notion that children have fairly well set up and innate abilities to know when they've had enough to eat and what adults do is they come in over the top with a bowl of food that's of a predetermined size. Who knows why we put so much into a bowl? (laughs) And we somehow think we have to spoon that food into the baby until it's all gone. That begins to override a baby's innate appetite regulation. So the fact that the food could be on the baby's tray and they eat for as long as they're hungry really speaks to that thing about letting their appetite dictate how much they will eat. That's actually really true if I just flick back to week one as well around formula feeding because one of the challenges for people who are formula feeding is that they don't really know how much to give the baby and so if you make up a bottle you're a little bit inclined to think that the bottle needs to be empty for you to have done the right job. Now if you compare that to someone who's breastfeeding, when you're breastfeeding you put the baby on the boob and the baby suckles until they've had enough and then they pop off. And you can't see into your breast to see how much they've had. You have to trust that the baby knows they've had enough to eat. So we talk a lot about what we call responsive feeding. So watching, whether it's when you're bottle feeding or breastfeeding or when you move your baby onto solids, it's being responsive to their signals that they've had enough to eat or that they're hungry. When it comes to introducing food and solids, a lot of women are heading back to work or maternity leaves are over. And so if you ate something and they don't like it or they won't eat it it can just be so it can be a blow to the very soul I I feel there might be some personal experience coming out here maybe but I have talked to other mothers who've experienced the same thing and so the whole I guess our aim is to to help babies to enjoy food and so 
again, this is something we've, we deal with in the second week of the MOOC, is how to provide food to children in ways that are kind of without emotion. So there's no, <laughs> there's no game to be played if you just put food in front of a child and let them eat until they're full. Um, that takes away all of the opportunities for a child to pick up on the fact that you're really keen for them to do something. And what better tool for a child than to actually back off and see how, the, how far they can push this? So engaging around food without emotion is really, really important. And this speaks to a notion that I know you've talked about before on your show, a division of responsibility in feeding. And what we mean by that is that the baby or the child has a responsibility and the parent has a responsibility. The parent's responsibility is to provide good quality food at regular intervals so the child knows they're going to be fed. The child's or the baby's responsibility is to eat if they're hungry and to decide what they will eat. And so if you've provided a range of healthy foods, the baby will or the child will eat some of those healthy foods. They might not eat all of them. They might not eat them in the order that you would like them to eat them in and they might not eat the amounts that you want them to eat, but they have had the opportunity to be exposed to all of those foods. If you say nothing and and step away, your responsibility is, is finished, then you're much less likely to fall into the trap of games around food and they are power struggles around food. Now, there are children who are fussy around food for different reasons and that's more complex, but for the majority of us, the... The take-home message is try not to get emotional around food. I've heard someone else on this program say, there will be someone at your meal table who enjoys what you've cooked, even if it's only you, and take solace in that. But children certainly won't learn to enjoy family foods or the foods that you want them to eat if you stop offering them. So the whole emphasis around continually offering foods is a really, really important one. So if you stop offering broccoli the third time you've offered it and they've spat it out, then they will never like broccoli because it's not on the table, so to speak. And we know that offering food, it often takes 10 to 15 attempts before a child will willingly eat it. I would argue in my own experience that it's a lifetime pursuit, that you keep offering foods that are good and healthy, and one day they will be enjoyed. They certainly won't be enjoyed if they're not offered. And we've both talked about our experience with lactation consultants, but getting someone in to help you start the baby on solids is pretty unheard of. It's a really good point. And we know that um, parents are very anxious is not the right word, but they want to know about how to feed solids to their baby. So, you know, when do I do it? Well, you know, the advice is around six months of age. How much do you give them? Well, you know, you feed to hunger. What do I give them? And, uh, yeah. you know, we, we know, for instance, that it, I think I mentioned before that it's important to offer iron, uh, foods containing iron. So that's things like meat or tofu or chicken um, in the right texture. But it's really important to offer a really wide range of vegetables probably before you introduce fruit because vegetables aren't naturally liked. They're a little bit bitter, which which humans are a little bit averse to. They're not sweet, and humans love sweet. Breast milk is very sweet. Fruit is sweet. But we know that if you offer vegetables, well, it seems that we know that if you offer vegetables just for a couple of weeks before you start eating, in, introducing fruit, children are more likely to prefer vegetables as time goes on, probably because they've had that exposure to it in those early days. And the sweet things come, but they've already learnt to enjoy the bitter a little bit more than they may have otherwise. Have you noticed any significant cultural differences while the parents have been taking past courses with the interaction that everyone has online? Yeah, no, look, it's a really nice question and I, it is one of the things I've loved is that we've got this diversity. I mean, at the moment, it's, you know, we have strong representation from countries like Australia and the UK. That's the bulk of our groups. But there's been things like, um, I mean, I knew about this from reading it and research, but it's quite different when a parent 
logs online and says, well, in my country we get rid of the colostrum and we don't give that at all because culturally it's thought to be not a healthy thing to provide. And I can't exactly remember where that was. In other countries, the things around first food, I guess there's, to me, there's been this continuity around the pureed food and often very, very bland, um, a long way from infant lead weaning, actually. So, you know, just offering very soft foods often a little bit of the food that the mother was eating and she's chewed up. So the amylase, uh, the enzymes in her uh, saliva have started to digest that food. I found that quite interesting. Mm. From our own research and also from discussions online, it's interesting to hear about what grandparents do in different countries. Oh, so yes. we, we do a bit of research around Chinese families, Chinese immigrant families here in Melbourne and how they feed their babies. And it's really interesting because the grandparents are very much a part of raising the new baby. So grandparents from China will often come and live with new immigrant families here in Australia. And take a lead role in feeding even if it's not what the parents actually wanted to happen. So it's you know the, the, the role of grandparents introducing what they were culturally exposed to 30 or 40 years ago is, is interesting as well. I think we have so much to learn from watching and hearing about other people's experience and again this is something that could never happen if you had to drive to uni, park the car go into a class. Here you are, you know, as I said, perhaps at two in the morning uh, feeding your baby and you can see what someone in China says they do with their baby. I mean, how cool is that? It's very cool. Now, you're about to open the website again. Tell me yes. just exactly how it works. Okay, so the MOOC opens again for the third time this year on November the 13th. Basically, what that means is it is active and open for two weeks. It's only six hours of content, so we find that some people go in and have a play for a day or they'll do a little bit every day for the two weeks. But if you don't find out about, if you don't hear this podcast until late in those two weeks, you can still go in there and have a play. In those two weeks, myself and some of the other academics who speak around things like salting kids' diets or baby lead weaning or how much food is enough, we will actually be active and online and talk to you uh, through our typing and encourage you to talk to each other. After the two-week period is finished, the MOOC remains open for another uh, six weeks. But because we have to go back and do teaching elsewhere, we don't. We no longer continue to talk online. Uh, but the, uh, you will see other people's comments are in there. And after eight weeks, it will close. So it's a little bit like going online and taking out a library book, having access to it for eight weeks and then finishing. What an increasing number of people are doing is going online, choosing the option which involves paying a bit of money and involves them getting a certificate that says they've done this course and it means that they get to keep the book for forever. It's mm. theirs. Mm. And so that's the, the paid option for what's called an open online course. Sure. And is there any evidence that some of your parents that have done one of these little two-week courses, that they've been so intrigued that they're interested in moving on to study nutrition as a career? Well, I can't tell you exactly if that's happened, but I think the fact that people are buying the certificates does suggest that they are perhaps becoming more aware of what universities can offer. And for me, that's the really exciting part of this is is to make universities accessible to everybody. They are for the public good. And the people who work in them are passionate about health and, and everybody having access to to the knowledge that 
and skills that would afford you the opportunities for good health. So I hope that, you know, having these things open and available does encourage people to move on and continue studying in that space if that's what they want to do. Professor Karen Campbell, Senior Lecturer at the School of Exercise and Nutrition Science at Deakin University. Now, this online course, or MOOC, is going to open on November the 13th. It will be live and moderated for two weeks. And you'll also get the chance to interact with other parents undertaking the course from around the world. This is a great chance to put the science of infant nutrition in context with the practicalities of feeding your own baby. I think you'll find it really helpful. You never know. Maybe it might even lead to a new area of interest or study for you. This podcast has been the answer to a number of questions that have been raised on the Baby Talk Facebook page, which we hope you'll get the opportunity to head on over and like. I really hope you found this edition of Baby Talk helpful. Baby Talk, we are the podcast that supports parents. But if you care to support Baby Talk, do you think you could take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes? Your ratings and comments help to make a better show and it also makes it easier for other people to stumble across us online. I'm Penny Johnston and I will see you next time on Baby Talk. Baby Talk.